everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick and we are back and thrilled to be so. And we're starting at the top uh, as we get things rolling again. Uh, we've got one of the greatest French horn players in the history of the instrument with us today, the great Chris Comer. Uh, Chris has been a friend of mine for a long time and I've been looking forward to uh, the opportunity to sit down with him. We had planned to do it before the pandemic started so uh, we're getting to it right now and uh, couldn't be happier that he's here today. Uh, Chris has been one of the top call freelance players in New York City for about the past 20-25 years or so. He is the principal horn of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. He is a member of the Burning River Brass. Uh, he's the instructor of horn at Princeton University. Uh, he has performed uh, with uh, quite an array of uh, orchestras including the New York Philharmonic, Cleveland Orchestra, Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, the Milwaukee Symphony, the Houston Symphony. Um, and he possesses the rarest of qualities for a French horn player in that he's uh, equally comfortable in a jazz club or in a studio or on the concert stage. Uh, it's quite remarkable the depth of musicianship that this, this man brings to the French horn. Uh, among his uh, vast array of recording credits in, in that world are J.J. Johnson, McCoy Tyner, Herbie Hancock, Harry Connick Jr., Barbara Streisand, Sting, Audra McDonald, Tony Bennett, Chico O'Farrell, the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, just to name a few. Uh, he has dozens of motion picture soundtrack credits, uh, as well as Broadway shows and television commercials. Uh, he received his Bachelor of Music from the Cleveland Institute of Music um, and got his Master's from the Manhattan School of Music. And I have to say on a personal note, um, as I mentioned, I've been friends and a colleague of Chris's for years. Uh, I'm super honored that he was uh, uh, that we were fortunate to get him to play on the original Brass Nation 21 years ago now, and uh, and he played some amazing French horn on the uh, 20th anniversary special edition. Actually, we used that in the in the opening music there. Some incredible uh, playing from Chris. He also uh, was featured on the, my uh, five brass quintet CD that came out a couple years ago. Some spectacular playing from Chris on that. He's also been involved in the the Hip Bone Music publications. Uh, featured on the 20-minute warm-up for French Horn, the Brass Buzz French Horn, Just Add French Horn. It's been an honor to to get to work with Chris and and uh, and just be a part of uh, his great musicianship. Um, so, Chris, without further ado, thank you for coming all the way over to New City and uh, being wow. with us today. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks. I, I real pleasure to be here and um, been looking forward to this for a while to, to chat with you. Wow. Thanks. Well, thanks for being here. I want to start with your early years in Kansas City, but first, sure. we have to talk about the Concord Blue Devils. When I was reviewing your resume, one of the things I didn't think I was going to see is drum and bugle corps, and it said you have a passion for that, and having grown up in the Bay Area, and I had a lot of friends of mine that were in the Santa Clara Vanguard, and uh, uh, so the Concord rival. Blue Devils were your big rivals. So just give us a quick snippet about your drum and bugle corps uh, experience. Well, I uh, my junior year in high school... Um, my band director had some connections with uh, the guys that ran the Blue Devils, and they had a late opening in the French horn line, French horn bugle line, and they uh, wanted to uh, hear a tape from me, so I sent a tape out, and the next thing they know, they 
got me on a bus to, to go out to play in the Blue Devils. And I, I was 17 and no <laughs> idea what I was getting into. Um, but it was uh, a life-changing experience that I'll never forget. And, um, you know, a lot of brass instructors, uh, you know, my, my, actually my horn teacher in high school said, oh, you, you don't want to do that. You know, it's bad for your chops. Uh, you know, stay away from that kind of thing. But I, you know what I tell you, I, I had a great time. I, I learned a lot about music. I got much stronger as a player. My just whole breathing apparatus. Uh, and, and I think a, a lot of the really top chords take very good care of your chops. I mean, some mm -hmm. of the, you know, the smaller chords, maybe not as experienced uh, instructors can get you beat up in the chop category, but I, I recommend it, you know. Uh, I don't recommend doing it for seven years, but I mean, <laughs> you know, a summer yeah. or two doing drum corps, I think it's uh, it's great. I had a great time. I got the First time really traveling uh, around the country, and um, you know, uh, it was just a, a treat. And I and I still, you know, there's still a real a deep love for for drum corps. And I try to go to shows whenever I can. I mean, it's just, it's it's a it's really an art form, and and people think, oh, it's you know, it's like marching band. It it really is not like marching. My 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 high school marching band was. Not a great experience, <laughs> but uh, the drum corps was was fun and and on, done on a very high level, and we played jazz. We played Stan Kenton charts. We played Chuck Mangione charts. You know, we we were kind of one of the few cores that were, you know, trying to you know really put the big band jazz sound onto the field. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I know. Even seeing some shows, you know, being from the Bay Area, it's like it, that's on a whole other level than marching band. This the, the sophistication and uh, and the material, you know, the repertoire and everything. So we actually a, lost to the Santa Clara Vanguard that year. Oh, okay. I, we got <laughs> second place by a half a ton of a point to the Santa Clara Vanguard. Sorry to bring up those memories as we start the interview, but it, I had to I had to ask you about that. Let's talk a little bit about you growing up in the Kansas City area and uh, what that was like. Were you around music uh, sure. from an early age? And, 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 you know, just I know that's a great place to be, but a great part of the country. So what was that like for you? Well, it's, it's good to be a musician because there's not as many distractions, I think. You know, I... I did grow up in a musical family. Um, my dad was a, a very accomplished country music person. He played oh, wow. pedal steel uh -huh. uh, and played a lot on the weekends. Uh, my mother was a, a very good pianist and singer. They actually met in the church choir. So, you know, we had a piano at home, uh, always music. Um, being played in the house, all kinds of music. My mom liked uh, Broadway shows and all, all kinds of different music. My dad mostly stuck to country music, but um, you know, we, I, I did grow up in a nice metropolitan area that, that had a very good youth symphony. So mm -hmm. when I was just starting out, I started on trumpet, but when I switched to horn uh, and started taking lessons, I got into the Junior Youth Symphony of Kansas City at an early age and that I, I remember the very first thing we 
I played in that orchestra, which is the first time I'm in a an ensemble bigger than like nine kids, because that was you know elementary band. We had like nine kids, so I'm sixth grade now. I'm sitting in a full or you know 50, 60 kids. And the first thing I remember playing was Swan Lake, the music from Swan Lake. <laughs> wow. And I literally couldn't believe my mind. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And just to be a part of that, I think that's, um, you know, that was the beginning of this whole like mind-blowing idea of playing music for, for a living, you know. And so uh, we had a, you know, very good music program in our school district. Uh, I was lucky for that. Um, good band directors. Um, I, I then decided to go to Wichita State University for my first three years uh, of undergrad, which I think was a really good choice for me because I was, you know, kind of the big fish in the small pond. And mm -hmm. I, I think if I had moved to New York when I was uh, right out of high school, I, I think I would have crumbled. I, mm -hmm. I just don't think I would have had the confidence to to you know survive in the the new york competitive you know especially this the schools juilliard and you know, manhattan school very competitive situation you know the kids mm -hmm. are they try to be friendly but there's always this <laughs> backstabbing you know everyone's ready sure. to you know get a leg up on you so i think that was a good move and um Wichita State had a very good jazz program, mm -hmm. and I was already dabbling on the piano, so I um, took a few improv classes on piano. Uh, I happened to end up being roommates with um, Matt Wilson, who is a very famous jazz drummer now. Mike, sure, you, you know yeah. you played with him. I love this. We had this conversation before, and it's like blew my mind. Like, yeah. but uh, share with the, with us how uh, Matt like kind of like. Uh, Encouraged you, yeah. To, uh, get well, Matt, into... Matt was, uh, you know, way into jazz already, and and had brought from Illinois this gigantic collection of vinyl, and <laughs> you know, I, 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 the, you know, my jazz was basically Maynard Ferguson and uh, Buddy Rich. That's about all I had listened to until then, and so suddenly I had Coltrane and and Miles Davis and you know all this. Michael Brecker, who I'd never heard before, and uh, every day I would come home and just stick on a different album. And and Matt was very encouraging and just a very you know charismatic, uh, positive guy. And and he was like, well, you know, you should do do some jazz French horn. You know, you you really you could really do something with that. And I was like, nah, nah, I really kind of more into. Her, the piano right now is kind of really what I wanted. He was like, okay, yeah, your piano is good too, but you know, you, 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 like, you could be like the Eddie Van Halen of the French horn. <laughs> so Matt was an early influence, and uh, I ended up getting into the second big band at Wichita State and playing in the same rhythm section as him for a year. Um, and then I um, went to Cleveland Institute to finish my undergrad and uh, kind of went more into the classical scene with the Cleveland Orchestra in the background and um, getting to play uh, extra with the Cleveland Orchestra. Uh, and just really loving it and realizing that I wanted to be a, a serious orchestral musician. 
and had gotten into a couple of the really good festivals at Tanglewood, uh, where I got to work with Leonard Bernstein and Sadie Ozawa and, so, and, mm. and Kurt Mazur. Um, and that brought me to New York eventually, and, and Manhattan School, and, and working with David Jolly at Manhattan School is great. But New York becomes your teacher, as you know. <laughs> so um, then you were just going out to hear all this incredible, you know, I, I, that's when jazz really got its hooks in me. Going out to hear all this great music, great young players. I, I was living near a, a club called Augie's uh, up on the Upper West Side. And, sure, and, yeah. Um, it's, it's now a different club called Smoke, but there was no cover, no minimum. You could sit in the corner and, and nurse the Rolling Rock all night and hear, you know, all these incredible young players that no one had ever heard of, uh, you know, guys like Joel Fromm, Scott Wendell, these were before anyone knew who they were. And uh, then the last set, uh, they would always open it up and, and guys would sit in, you know. But that that really opened up my, my mind. And I, and I was thinking, these, these are the guys I want to play with. So... It, it is amazing, like the range of. I talked about it in the intro a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about it at great length going on. But what when you hear, for those of you who don't know Chris's jazz playing, um, it's like listening to a tenor saxophone player. There's no part of it that makes me feel like, oh wow, he's isn't that cute that you're playing jazz on French horn? Not at all. It's like serious, high level um, jazz playing on the French. Happens to be on the French horn, but you're a serious improviser in addition to the. The, uh, the orchestral side of your, your career. Um, so that you would say like that was right after you got out of Manhattan School of Music, you kind of like really started taking the possibility of playing jazz on the French horn uh, seriously, taking Matt's words at Wichita State well, to heart. I realized that uh, when I got to New York that New York had about 10,000 great jazz pianists. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really was way behind the ball uh, on that, but as far as like jazz horn playing, uh, you know, there was a handful of guys doing it, but I felt like that would be one way for me to kind of carve a niche in, in New York. And, and plus, I, I just really started to um, really enjoy improvising and realized that the horn is a great jazz instrument, you know. It, it's a great sound for jazz, somewhere between the flugelhorn and the trombone, and it's it's a great sound for jazz. And I actually think that it's easier on the horn than the trombone because mm. you guys, mm -hmm. you got the slide to deal with. We, you know, we got the vowels, but the reason why there's very few jazz horn players is we're just not in the scene. You know, mm -hmm. we we don't play mm -hmm. in the jazz band and high junior high and high school. I happened to um, play trumpet. I kept playing trumpet in the jazz band in junior high, and then in high school, I actually played trombone. In really? High, wow. high school jazz band. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I still have my olds with the F attachment laying around somewhere. Well, uh, keep it in the case if you don't mind, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I, I had a little bit of the foot in the door doing that, but most uh, French horn players just never get a chance to do that. You don't ever get a chance to play uh, in a good jazz group. 
Um, so that's why it, it, we're always on, uh, an outsider. So it was on me to sort of be proactive in, in creating my own little scene. You know, mm -hmm. I, I remember um, right away I knew that no one was going to call me for jam sessions. You know, because you know, first of all, you never think of calling, oh, you know, it would be great if we could get a jazz horn, French horn player to come to our rehearsal this afternoon. Um, so I basically decided to host my own sessions. So I, I, got, I got a nice piano, I got a drum set. I'm on the fifth floor of a walk-up building, so I got my own bass too. And mm -hmm. so the guys didn't have to bring any of their uh, equipment. And in the beginning, yeah, it was really hard to get anyone to come over because they didn't know who I was. And, you know, French horn, that the first thing they think of is, well, this is going to be lame. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, you, you, you make enough calls and, and you, you, may, you maybe do uh, some big band gig somewhere where you meet somebody that seems to like the idea of jazz French horn and, and you can drag them to the session and they drag their bass player friend and then he he trusts you to bring a pianist that he knows and from there i just um kept kept working it and and you know of course the play alongs are um you know there's a, there's a kind of a camp that says you know don't do the jazz play -alongs. You know, so <laughs> yeah right oh yeah for don't sure don't do that just you know play live you know learn it you know but but they don't play a non-traditional jazz instrument. Yeah. Anyone who says that, <laughs> do, do not yeah. play a non-traditional jazz instrument. So, I, uh, yeah, Jamie Abersold uh, taught me how to play jazz, you know, seriously. <laughs> just from, uh, yeah, yeah. Just from playing, yeah. you know, playing, playing along with us. I mean, I, I, I honestly think that uh, it's easy to get bogged down with the books, but I, I, I tell everyone, just throw the CD on and just start playing along. Mm -hmm. And don't get bogged down with the, the you know, the exercises or, or, or the, unless you're stuck, then, then go back in and maybe get some ideas. But, uh, you know, now there's all kinds of good, good um, play along type tools that you can use. But, yeah. Um, well, meanwhile, while all that uh, you're developing as a jazz artist, your, your orchestral career starts flourishing and you're re subbing with all these great orchestras. We talked about St. Luke's today and, uh, and ultimately, we will talk at great length about your position now with the New Jersey Symphony in a minute. But uh, what was the path like in terms of, I know you've played with all these orchestras, Cleveland and New York and, and Houston. And so what, what was going on in your kind of parallel career uh, in the orchestral world? Yeah, well, and that's a good way to put it. You know, I always kind of felt like there was kind of two tracks going at once in my career. And... Um, I was, um, yeah, I was, t I was taking auditions. I was trying to get the big orchestra job, you know, and uh, I had minimal success with that. I, I would, sometimes I would get advanced and um, go on to the next round. I, I think the farthest I got at the New York Philharmonic was uh, final seven for the, um, was it third horn job? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. um but it ended up winning uh, the third horn job with the New Jersey Symphony. Um, and um, I did that for about five years. And, and all the time I was doing that, I was 
getting uh, the freelancing in New York going pretty well and, and was getting called for Broadway shows. Um, and Orpheus, I was touring a lot with Orpheus and a fair amount of studio work. Um, so I gave the job up. Um, and then 10 years later, my situation had changed. That job had gotten a lot better. The third horn job came open again, and mm -hmm. I auditioned again and, and got the third horn job again. And then five years ago, um, won the principal horn job there when it mm -hmm. you know, finally opened up. So I love the story you told me when we were driving over today, how you ended up having to leave the first time because you, uh, you your pioneering spirit came out when you got called to go on tour with uh, Barbara Streisand and you realized how important that gig uh, is, was. And uh, tell us about that a little bit that motivated you to say, I'm going to leave this full-time gig because I know this is going to launch another side of my career. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the New Jersey Symphony had fairly relaxed attendance rules, but, but you did have to play uh, a certain percentage of the season. And I had gotten kind of behind on my percentage. Uh, I was doing a lot of touring with Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, and uh, I had a Broadway show at the time. So at the end of the season, um, got this great call to, to do a tour with Barbara Streisand and a double CD, and it was all the top studio guys, you know, uh, that I hadn't really worked with yet. Um, so it, it was really my first chance to kind of get my foot in the door of um, the top studio uh, recording work. And I was going to have to go over my limit by two services, and I petitioned the orchestra to let me, you know, go over that limit, but they they weren't having it. So I decided, yeah, well, I can't turn this down. This is really more of what I want to be doing right now. And and it worked out great. For 10 years, I had, you know, basically as much work as I wanted. Um, the reason why I went back was I, I had gotten the idea for my summer retreat project in Montana. And I, I wanted my summers free, but I wanted a little bit more steady solid work with with health insurance because that mm, sure that had health, all the health insurance to take care of there so that that's why i went back mm, to the mm -hmm, to orchestra mm -hmm. cool okay we i mentioned it in the intro but you have uh, quite an impressive uh, list of jazz artists that you've recorded with and performed with i'm just going to throw out a few names and just sure. tell us your memories of the projects even if it's just one project but uh We'll start with one of my heroes, with every trombone player alive hero, uh, the great J.J. Johnson. Well, that was his uh, Brassworks mm. album, mm -hmm. which uh, was a was a mega project with uh, a large group. Uh, members like six trumpets, John Fattis, Lou Soloff were on that. Uh, four French horns. And uh, just some fantastic arrangements. Um, all different composers contributed works. Robin Eubanks did a, mm. an arrangement on that record. But, oh, yeah, that was one of my earliest uh, big-time record dates, to be in the room with J.J. and all those guys that I've been, you know, listening to and hearing about for so long, to just be sitting in that studio, I mean... 
you know, that pinched me. You know, I, I never dreamed uh, as, as a kid in Kansas. I mean, I, I hadn't, didn't dream of having this stuff, but certainly didn't dream of doing anything like that. Yeah. So. I never got to meet JJ, but uh, obviously influenced every single person who ever picked up a trombone, that's for sure. But uh, people like uh, Douglas Provience and Robin, they would talk about his attention to detail and how like he went over every, you know, dotted every I, crossed every T. And uh, so that must have been awesome to just see it firsthand when he's uh, taking on yeah, a project was, of that scope. He was very meticulous even then. It was... Uh... Yeah. He was a bit cantankerous too, but he, you know, he wanted it. <laughs> he wanted it right, and uh, you know, we, we, we got it right. Very cool. Uh, next one, McCoy Tyner. Yeah, that was um, the record date I did with him was uh, McCoy Tyner plays the music of Burt Bacharach. Oh, I have that CD. It's a great record. Yeah, that was a fun record. I didn't have a lot to do on that. It was you know, small orchestra. Uh, I did get to sub uh, with McCoy Tyner's big band mm. a couple of times for, for John Clark. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was fun. I, I did never perform with that group, but I subbed on a, a couple of mm -hmm. rehearsals. But, yeah, McCoy, I mean, as a pianist, too, I, uh, you know, he's a huge idol of, of mine. So. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, Herbie Hancock. The Herbie date was actually with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. We did a record with him called Gershwin's World. Oh, I had that record too. I didn't realize it was Orpheus. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. got to start going over these CDs. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did. He did his own version of uh, uh, Ravel Piano Concerto, mm. where he actually kind of just improvised over the the, the chords, um, which I, you know, I. Not sure what Ravel would have thought of that. <laughs> Maybe he would have liked he, it. He probably would have loved it. He, yeah, yeah, he probably would have loved it. Um, so that was, uh, you know, another thing where I, I didn't have a lot to do, but just to be able to, you know, be in the room with, with Herbie and recording all that. That and that was my first Grammy as a sideman. Uh, was that was that record? Nice, uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's top five. American musicians of all time, so just to be in the room with them has to be uh, something amazing. Uh, last one of these. Uh, you talked about how the French horn's not in the uh, jazz band typically, but you did play with the Lincoln Center, Jazz Orchestra at Lincoln Center. Yeah, and that was always, I've done that a few times. Uh, really, really fun. We, we One of the projects was uh, the music of Gil Evans. Mm. Uh, and just to, you know, work with Winton and that group. Uh, talk about a meticulous bunch, you know. Winton is incredibly, incredibly detail-oriented and, and uh, uh, runs a very tight ship. But, you know, it pays off. That, that, that group sounds phenomenal all the time. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so a few projects. I, I actually did one project where somehow I ended up playing first horn and went and asked me to get the whole section for four horns so um and i got principal horn of the met eric roski to oh, nice. sit in the section <laughs> with me when he was having fun because he didn't get to do a lot of jazz so but that was fun that's cool uh let's talk about yet another element of your career is is your your teaching side of things and you've been at princeton university for over uh, a decade now yeah, right? about or? 10 11 years yeah now. what's what's 
What's that? What's that like? For I you enjoy it. I really do. I, I, I mean, Princeton isn't really known as a music school, um, but I mean the kids there are, are really super uh, motivated. They're all um, incredibly talented, you hmm. know. But they, mm -hmm. you know, they've decided two or three years before I get to them, they're not going to be horn players. They're going to be scientists, or, you know doctors or whatever so it's a little bittersweet although i've had a couple of them decide to go into music but um it's still fun to work with them um and i i do in, enjoy that side of music I, I i find teaching a lot more uh actually draining than actually playing i feel like to, to be a good teacher you really it takes a lot out of you, and um, I always um, I would be exhausted after a full day of teaching. I just just wiped out, but fulfilling too. You know, if you feel like you're connecting, and um, you know, making some some headway. You know, so I couldn't agree more. I mean, the 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 times I've gone in and taught, you know, for a week, something for somebody at a conservatory or whatnot. It's unbelievably draining. I have such respect for for teachers uh, oh, in general, and, and oh man, yeah. the, you've got to have the passion for it, and uh, just respect goes out. And and, and to, you know, same thing for band directors and all. I mean, boy, that's like way more draining than playing to to me anyway. Oh, I and I, so. yeah. I okay, I want to talk about this uh, next thing, which I which you introduced me to when we had a conversation last week, but. Um, the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra uh, is in the middle of a co big commission for, for you, uh, a piece that four composers are contributing one movement each. Um, it's quite, and maybe you, I'll leave you to, uh, to describe how it came about, but it's uh, what a wonderful project. Um, and you encouraged me to check out Paquito de Rivera's uh, Dolly in the Tropics, which I did immediately after you told me about it. For those of you who have not heard this, which perhaps you haven't, um, check it out. Piquito de Rivera, Chris Comer, Dolly in the Tropics. It's one of the movements. Beautiful piece that Piquito wrote. Spectacular playing by Piquito and Chris. Tell us about this commission and about that piece. Sure. Uh, I feel um, like we're kind of breaking some new ground here. I, I don't know of any other uh, major symphony orchestra that has commissioned a, a sort of a jazz concerto for their principal horn. Uh, I mean, it's rare that they commission any concerto for uh, for their principal horns, but to do a jazz concerto with, uh, it'll be for full orchestra and rhythm section, jazz trio, piano, bass, and drums. Um, yeah, I, when I won the principal horn job, um, we negotiated into the contract this this concerto, and, and I, you know, I wasn't sure they would go for it, but it, it was something that they didn't even blink. They thought it was a great idea, and we immediately got to work on it. Uh, I got to pick the composers. Uh, I got to pick the theme. I, I wasn't sure how to tie them all together, but we, we picked uh, the artist Salvador Dali as kind of the thread. Uh, I asked the composers to um, try to pick an art piece, either painting or sculpture of, of Dali, to, you know, use a little bit of inspiration uh from and so that's uh, the thread 
But the four composers uh, are uh, Paquito de Rivera, uh, Christian McBride, um, who, you know, everyone knows Christian, and he runs a great big band, composes for big band. This will be his first uh, work for full orchestra, so I'm um, anxious to hear what he is going to do with that. Uh, Gary Morgan is uh, the f another composer who uh, runs a great, 20-piece um, Latin Brazilian big band in New York that I play in. And I've <laughs> been friends with Gary for a, a long time now. And the fourth composer is a, a very good friend of mine, Vivian Lee, who lives in London. Uh, and she um, she went to Manus in New York uh, for composition and has gotten more into bluegrass. Uh, she plays mandolin and piano and, and is, is working in London as a bluegrass and gypsy jazz artist, but still writing uh, music and has had already written me a really great trio, a horn trio for piano, violin, and horn uh, with some improvising mm. in, in that. And I, it was so successful that I really wanted her to do a whole movement. So that, it's going to be next June, not, uh, not this June, but the following June, finale of our season. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, so. it's such a cool-sounding project. And uh, once again, everybody, check out the, the piece. It doesn't involve the orchestra yet, but, but Paquito's yeah, band. did an arrangement and, for his small group. Uh, he, originally, the idea was to have me come out and sit in with him if he was playing around the New York area with his, with his small group. And then COVID hit. Uh, so we decided to do a video, and we all recorded our parts separately and, and uh, flew it in. Yeah, it's the track sounds uh, tremendous. But you know, kudos to the New Jersey Symphony for having the courage to go for it. delve into jazz for French horn and and to go with the commissions. And kudos to you for getting that in your contract. And uh, that's like a, like we were saying a win-win situation for both parties. So we, we look forward to hearing that. Hope I'm sure they're going to record it and. Hopefully some Hopefully. video and uh, Hopefully, you know, yeah. get to get to see that. Let's talk about an, an entirely another side of your uh, uh, career. It's starting to piss me off how many things you do well, actually. <laughs> but, um, but your solo piano CD, uh, it's entitled Traveling Music. You talked about being around piano growing up and in your college years at Wichita State. Um, are you still, I think you were mentioning, you're still interested in pursuing that uh, as, as part of your portfolio. Yeah, I still play a lot of piano. Uh, in fact, in my free time, um, I would say that's what I do more than anything right now. Um, I invested in a really nice grand piano that's in my tiny apartment, and um, that was a really good move, you know, to get a, a fine instrument uh, that I could play whenever I wanted. Um, I, I decided when I when I bought the piano that it was only going to be for fun. You know, I already had a career as a horn player, and I and I, you know, I was like, well, you know, this is just going to be different. You know, it's not. I'm not going to like decide. Oh, well, now I got to now I have a piano. Now I got to make money playing the piano. And I, I I just made it a rule that I was only going to play for fun. And if I wasn't having fun, I wouldn't play and mm -hmm. and if I got frustrated I'd just get up from the keyboard and stop playing so that was kind of the way that worked and and for years and years I, I just would play for fun but that got to be 
as I got a little better, uh, that became more frequently. And then I had done enough soundproofing on my apartment, I could play the piano pretty much any time I wanted. So I was playing a lot uh, after I got home from, from the show or whatever I was doing and would play for hours. Um, and I, I got to the point I was writing some tunes and, and, and improvising a lot. And I said, well, you know, let's just see if I can get a good sound. Let's try to record some of this. And uh, I tried recording myself. It was terrible. So I got some friends to come record it. And we had enough really good material that we decided to make a CD out of it. So that was, uh, you know, 2009. So I'm about due for another one. But I, I think that another one is, is on the horizon. And I've been playing enough, uh, especially during the pandemic, I, I think, the best thing for me during this whole year was the time I, I've had to put into well, playing the horn. But um, most of all for me was just piano time. Mm -hmm. I mean, my playing has uh, improved uh, a lot during this, this year. Mm -hmm. So it's, another cool. one's on the horizon. Well, it's, we'll, it's look, we'll look forward it's to that coming. as well. That's great. Um, we were just talking about it when we were having a quick bite of lunch. But uh, tell us about... Uh, Artist Refuge at uh, Thunderhead. I know that's one of your great passions of life, maybe uh, right up there with music. But uh, tell us what's sure. going on out in Montana oh, for I'm, you. I'm happy to talk your ear off about that one. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know what really happened, why I became obsessed with this. Well, I, I actually do kind of know what happened. I mean, it was after 9 11. Um, that affected me deeply. I was in New York when that happened. And. Um, uh, I, I just felt like I had to do something, you know, drastically different or new or, you know, try to do uh, just something that would change the, the course of my life a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I got the idea of, uh, you know, um, what, what, what would I, if I had 20 acres, what would I do with it? And, you know, I... I the first thing that came to my mind was I would build something for multiple people to come use, artists to come use. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, so that sounds like a good idea. Let's start looking for a spot to do it. And it was still kind of a dream, but I would write about it a lot. And then uh, I started looking all over the country for a spot to do it. And I, I looked intently um, on the internet, and then every summer I would take some weeks to drive around the country and check out some properties in person. Uh, so four and a half years later, I was able to uh, buy this 60-acre uh, piece of land in the middle of the National Forest in the mountains in Montana. Um, and... It, it, it's, it, that was 2007, so we've been working on this for uh, about 13 years now. And it's, you know, it was raw land. And I, I remember talking about it to everybody, what I was going to do with this 60 acres in the middle of nowhere. And everyone thought I was crazy. And a lot of people still do, but the, <laughs> this it's actually happening. You know, we, we've built... Uh, seven structures now and um, we've been able to start raising some money for it and I have a lot of people coming every summer volunteers from all over the world 
Um, not from all over to last summer, although we still had uh, about 50 people come through and, and volunteer their time to help. Basically, we're still in the building phase. Uh, the summer before, though, we had uh, 14 people from foreign countries mm -hmm. come come to Thunderhead uh, and and help us build this project. And and the sort of the end goal is to have uh, kind of a home away from home for professional performing artists, but you know, creative people in general. Uh, you don't have to be a full-time artist to be involved, to come. But I want it to be very diverse, uh, and I want eventually there to be a two- or three-week uh, festival of the arts where we all gather, a lot of people camping out, and uh, we just um, celebrate music and art and, and experiment uh, collaborate in new ways. You know, I think uh, w another reason why I decided to do this was uh, living in New York City, uh, I felt strangely segregated from all the other artists. Hmm. Um, you know, I had my classical scene and my jazz scene, but uh, even doing Broadway shows, uh, you know, we've done a lot of Broadway shows, you know, we don't really mix with the cast or the dancers, you know, it's all, you know, sure, yeah. very separated for some reason. Um, and in New York, it's a you know, high concentration of artists, but I feel like we're all so concerned with our own little scene, survival, and our group of friends are just the people that we work with. Um, and we weren't uh, collaborating on a level that I felt like could could really happen and and would be beneficial. So one of the things I I realized well if you if we're all in the middle of the wilderness and we we don't we can't look at our cell phones and we we can't get on the internet because we have no cell phone or internet out there. Um, and we don't have to worry about uh, you know paying the bills right away and and a, a lot of the distractions fall away. And you and you really can can get to know someone on a very personal level, and and know more about what they do as an artist, and then start to think about ways that oh maybe we could do we could try this. Um, so I'm very hopeful that that's one of the things that could come out of this project is some mm -hmm. uh, new ways of collaboration um, from artists of very separate. Um, classification of art, you know, a, a, a flamenco dancer collaborating with, uh, you know, a, a sculptor, you know, just very uh, off-the-wall types of things that you could think of, but, um, and just, yeah, just uh, a place to recoup, really, you know, also, you know, a lot of artists live in the middle of the dense cities where it's, it can be stressful. And I feel like being in nature is a very healing effect. I know it definitely heals me and gets me ready for uh, another year in New York City. So, you know, I, I feel like people could focus on their art or take a break from their art, you know, uh, out there. And um, so that's another aspect of it. But uh, yeah, it's kind of my life's project, really, you know, that 
this, and, and it will eventually kind of take over everything, I think. But um, I, I envision a full symphony orchestra out there at some point, and um, an education program, hosting workshops. Uh, I, I, one of the first things I want to do is, is either a, a, a horn camp, uh, like a jazz French horn camp, or jazz brass camp, or, or just a brass camp, a, mm -hmm. a comprehensive mm -hmm. brass camp. Uh, you know, we're all out there. We could be outdoors. You know, the weather's great in the summer. So that's probably two or three years away now. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and it also did it just to save my own life, just mm -hmm. to be out there working with my hands, getting dirty, learning new building techniques. We're using some pretty obscure alternative building methods. Um, we do have a website. Uh, thunderheadrefuge.com with lots of great photos of what mm. we're doing. Uh, it's videos uh, that we made out there. So, uh, I, you know, I encourage everyone to check it out and uh, get in touch with me if they're interested. Nice. So. Man, well, well, you clearly have a lot of passion for it and good for you for uh, dreaming big. And and, uh, and I remember when you said that back then, 13 years you ago, what it was. Crazy uh, I did think you were crazy. <laughs> But I, and I still think you're crazy, but in a really good way. <laughs> no, I thought it was an ambitious uh, undertaking, and it's really impressive to see where you've gone with it, and it'll be impressive to see where you take it over the next couple decades, You'll be three out decades. There, You'll okay. be out there at some point. You will be out there. Well, Chris, this has been a thrill today. Um, we've had so few French horn players on the show, and, and uh, you know, to get somebody of your stature has uh, given us a lot of credibility in the French horn world, so we, we really appreciate your time today. Um, as we close out, I always like to ask, uh, especially somebody like yourself, who's, who's a young artist already, uh, but obviously a very successful one, um, what your advice might be for young players coming up, whether it's specific to French horn or just musicians in general. Um, what, what uh, you know, you've, you've shed a lot of uh, light on a lot of subjects today, but uh, if you have any things that you would share uh, on that front, it would be great. Yeah. Um, you know, follow your bliss. Be persistent. Uh, you're going to get knocked down a lot in this business. Uh, it's a very, um, you got to really grow a tough skin. Um, and, uh, you know, just if, you, if you're really passionate about it, uh, just don't give up. You're going to have walls dropped in front of you, doors slammed in your face. But there's going to be another door. You, you go around the wall. There's always another step that you can take even in the face of some pretty extreme adversity especially when you're taking auditions wow <laughs> <laughs> to, to get an, a job in an orchestra it is really hard on your company I mean it's the same for a, you know a Broadway performer who's trying to get into a cast you know you go to 100 auditions and you're dismissed instantly at you know 95 of them and it's the same with with orchestra orchestra auditions it's a lot of no it's a lot of thank you uh not what we want um so you have to be prepared for that um and it's hard i'm not gonna lie it's hard you know e even as successful uh, as i have been there's been a lot of times where it's, I was very down and, and depressed and, and just wondering how I was going to 
get up and carry on and keep trying and, mm. and keep going. So just just realize that um, you, you know you can get past it if you're if you're persistent and and um, uh, just get up, get knocked down. You just gotta get up and mm. you know keep keep going. I mean, it, it's a I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, a career in music. I mean. I get to travel the world, you know. Mm -hmm. I never dreamed, as a kid growing up in Kansas, getting to travel the world. <laughs> I would have never dreamed of that, you know. I I'm supposed to play at the Katmandu Jazz Festival in, in November in Nepal. You know, I never dreamed of doing Playing at the Monterey, you know, soloing in front of a thousand people at the Monterey Jazz Festival. Are you kidding me? <laughs> On the French horn, you know. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're passionate and, and you really... Uh, put your heart and soul and your mind and your you know put, put your whole self into it there's uh, you can really do it so. yeah great stuff great stuff well I hope uh, hope everybody's enjoyed this as much as I've had I had a ball today talking to uh, Chris Chris will also be doing a hip on you lesson for us uh, really cool stuff talking about balancing uh, classical performance and jazz and commercial performance and how to how to navigate through that I, I'm super looking forward to hearing it myself uh, we look forward to uh, uh, his concerto with the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra coming out uh, a year from this June. Um, as always, check him out uh, here in New York. And uh, we look forward to seeing all of you next time on Bone to Pick. <laughs>